Hey guys. Oh my gosh, it's been a minute since I've been on the podcast. And honestly, I took the whole like November off of the podcast just to focus on myself and tap into some other things and just, you know, focus on other things. It was just very much well needed, but I'm so happy to be back talking to you guys, engaging with you guys. Long time no speak. I'm just so happy to talk to y'all because today I actually wanted to talk about something that was extremely traumatizing for me. And I feel like when I tell you guys what it is, y'all are going to be like, what? (laughs) But this was a part in my adulthood that was extremely traumatizing for me, but it was all a lesson learned. Um, But today we're going to talk about the first and hopefully only time that I got fired. To jump right in, I started working at 17 and my first job was in retail. I loved this job. I was actually with this job for, I want to say five years. Oh my gosh, that's such a long time. (laughs) But I was working part-time in retail for five years and I just loved it. I think the best part about working in retail was that every day was different. You know, every encounter was different. You know, every situation was different. It didn't feel like I had to clock in every day and do the same thing. I mean, even though the typical job duties and responsibilities were the same thing, it was just something about the engagement that I truly enjoyed. I really did enjoy you know, working with customers, talking to people, selling things, making sure people had a wonderful shopping experience. It was something that I really enjoyed. And also, it was a pretty easy job. I think, you know, working in retail, I didn't have any stress that I was bringing home. And it was just as simple as clocking in and clocking out. I didn't have to worry about any reports or big things like the managers do. (laughs) And You know, my only responsibility, like I said, was to help customers and meet the sales goals as much as I could and open credit cards and things like that. But nothing to the point where I stressed at home. Now, when I started working, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. When I started working, I began to buy things for myself. And when I worked in retail, because I wasn't making a lot of money, I actually just pretty much purchased my wants, whether it was clothes, shoes, getting my hair done, getting my nails done. I purchased a lot of my wants. And when I started to get, I guess, more serious jobs and I started to work full-time jobs and step a little bit more into the corporate side of things, I ultimately took on my needs as well unknowingly, you know, it went from my parent buying me all of my needs and necessities to me doing it. And I think that with the more money you make, the more your just sort of quality of life increases. Um, And I think that a lot of your wants and necessities increase as well. If that makes sense, I actually looked it up and it's called lifestyle inflation. But let me see if I can give you guys a better definition, because I'm telling you, I'm not good with 
explaining things. Y'all can probably hear my phone tapping in the <laughs> in the background. Okay, so lifestyle inflation. Okay, it says lifestyle inflation refers to an increase in spending when an individual's income goes up. And that's exactly what happened with me. And this isn't to be boastful or anything like that. I think it's normal. I think it's a true normal part of just life. And I think the natural urge to do more and buy more for yourself just happens, especially if you went so long without it, or if you've never had it before, I think that it's a normal thing. But I noticed that the more jobs I received where I made more, my responsibilities and the things that I've accumulated have just increased over time. So for example, when I worked part-time in retail, I didn't have a car. Why? Because I was barely making $10 an hour. I knew that I wouldn't be able to afford a car, the insurance, the maintenance, gas for it. It just, it wasn't possible. But when I got my first full-time job, I was able to get a car, pay for it, maintain it, things like that. You know, part-time hours are very iffy. Full-time jobs, depending on what it is, I I would say that my full-time jobs had stable hours and it was stable income for that time being. I say all of this to say that with my responsibilities increasing and me unknowingly taking on my needs and necessities and things like that, this is where I truly realized how much getting fired hurt because I had so many things that I was responsible for. And I also did a lot of reflecting and thinking during this time. And I just realized how much this situation made me angry and how sad it made me and how much projecting I did. And it's so crazy because projecting is a true thing. I mean, when someone is going through something, you can you can really feel when they are projecting. But I was definitely projecting. And I also noticed that I became a little bit envious of my peers and people that I associated with at the time, just because I noticed that their situation and circumstances were not the same as mine. And I always figured that their situation and circumstances was better than mine. Now, let me explain. I feel like a lot of people I know and a lot of my peers and people just in my age group, when they lose a job, quit a job, or just simply don't want to work, it's okay for them. They kind of have this whatever mindset. They don't have these responsibilities Or even if they do have these responsibilities, they have someone else they can call on to assist them with whatever it may be. You know, I was envious of the people who had the two parent household to where they could lose a job and they could ask their parents for money to help them with their car note. Or those people who had the godparents and the aunts and uncles who they could call on anytime they just needed money for gas or clothes and shoes, whatever to get by. And my safety net was not set up that way. You know, everyone's safety net is going to look different. And I had to realize that that's okay. And this isn't to say that I was not grateful for my safety net at the time. And I still am grateful for my safety net. But again, I had to realize that my circumstances were not set up that way. 
and that is okay. And everyone's safety net is going to look different when it comes to situations like this. And I honestly think it's all a part of our individual paths and our individual journeys. Now, when I did get fired, this was 2019 and 2019 was just such a traumatic year for me. This was the first year, I guess I can say, I really felt adulthood sinking in. I was about 20, 21 this year. And it's so crazy because 21 is supposed to be like a good time. Like that's that's a year it's supposed to be a really good time. It's supposed to be lit. I worked on my 21st birthday and everything. It was It was a mess. 2019 was just a really bad year for me. I was in and out of a lot of jobs. I wasn't necessarily doing my best in school because I was in and out of a lot of jobs. And that's another thing. That's another thing I was envious of, of my peers. You know, those people who could go to school and strictly focus on school only and not have to worry about a job because, you know, they had someone to call on to help them with whatever they have, you know, they could, they could just not have to worry about money. (laughs) And like my situation was not set up like that because I always prioritized work over school. You know, I'm just like, work is giving me money right now. School isn't. And as much as I knew how important it was for me to finish school, I was still just kind of like, I have to fund my day-to-day living and just trying to find the right job and just navigating through what I wanted at that time. It was so difficult doing that while also having all these classes to do work for and all of this group work. And it was just insane. But like I said, 2019 was tough in and out of a lot of jobs. I was failing some classes. Like anytime I started a new job, I failed a class, I think, or I wasn't doing too well in that class because it was really hard trying to do training for a job and also learning a new professor and learning how the class is going to operate. It was, it was a lot. I had surgery in 2019 and my situationship was starting to have its downfalls. It was just really tough. (laughs) I mean, I just think of 2019 and I just think of nothing but dark days, but I am so grateful that I made it through that year. Anyways, I want to get into the entire process and how everything just kind of went with this job that I got fired from. Now, this job was me working for a collections company. I was either a collection specialist or a customer service rep, whatever you want to say. So starting with the interview process, when I walked in, I had already got a bad vibe from the receptionist, right? And this is maybe because she wasn't as jolly and smiley as I was. I was sort of in my fake it till you make it mode so I could get the job. (laughs) And, you know, she didn't owe me a smile or joyful energy. She was just doing her job. So I try not to think too much of it. It was a really small office and the lights were very dim. It was just such a dull environment. And if you've listened to my episode, Investing in Your Environment, you will hear me talk about how lights are just everything to me and how important they are and how lights just mean positivity to me and productivity to me and just all good things. But anyways, I also noticed that this was a family-owned company, which was another red flag. 
It just is. <laughs> it just is. I was interviewed by two women and the interview I would say went fairly well. You know, it wasn't long. About a week later, I was offered the job. I accepted it. I set my start date and I began training. My first day on the job was me being shown around to the office, introducing myself to everyone. And then I started training modules. I hate training modules so much. And I'm not going to say that they're pointless, but they are definitely time consuming and very, very boring. You know, taking these long assessments to get an 80 or higher and to print out the certificate, it is just so boring. And I can say that some of them are helpful and they are very much related to the job in most cases, but they are so boring. The training modules went on for a few days and then I got some hands-on training and I observed some team members work and see them, you know, take calls and things like that. Eventually I did get my own desk and I had my own queue of calls and accounts to handle. This system that we worked with to manage these accounts was extremely old. And I had such a hard time working with it and understanding it. And I would say that I'm really good with systems once I get the hang of it. I would say I'm, I'm really good with it. <laughs> and this system was just not it. We were just not working well together. Even though these weren't big things, these were all things I was sort of just taking a mental note of. And it was just many red flags, not major red flags, but many tiny red flags. And I was just thinking in my head, like, I don't think I'm going to be here long. And that's exactly what happened, but out of my control. So as days went on, I noticed that I never completed or did any onboarding or received any paperwork. None of that. I'm just so confused at this point to where is my state and federal forms, where's my benefits information, where's my PTO. Mind you, everything they did was on paper. Nothing was electronic. I had to go to HR, which was one person, by the way, to get my documents. And this was another red flag to me. I think that if you want to make sure that you are providing a good candidate experience, everything matters from beginning to end. And I don't know why these employers think that candidates aren't paying attention because they are. And I think that employers think, oh, this person needs this job so we can kind of just, you know, lack a little bit and delay this process. No, that's not the case. Candidates are keeping track of everything and looking at timelines and being very cautious of everything and being very aware of everything. And like I said, if you want to make sure that you are providing a good candidate experience, it all matters from you attracting and sourcing the candidate to the application process, to the interview process, to the offer process, to the onboarding and paperwork process, like just all of that, all, all things recruitment, it just matters so much to a candidate. Another red flag, once I was in the job, you know, when I had training, I was told that I would have a one hour lunch and I assumed I was going to be all the time. No one told me until like weeks later that I was supposed to only have a 30 minute lunch. 
And so again, I'm thinking that management and HR is just sort of taking these little notes just to find reasons to get me out of there. No one told me I was supposed to take a 30 minute lunch and not a one hour lunch break. So that was one thing. I also was not informed that I would have to work every other Saturday and that my schedules on Monday was going to be different. Let me explain. So once I got into the job, I was required to work every other Saturday. This was not in the offer letter. Like none of this was presented in front of me in any way, shape or form. So I had to work every other Saturday. And instead of working a general eight to five, nine to five schedule on Mondays, I had to work, I think 11 to seven, just like a later shift. So that was another red flag. Now to take a little bit of accountability and show where I did wrong in my red flags, I do have very few in this situation. So I did ask to leave early one day. And I don't know if this was because I wasn't feeling well or what the situation was, but I did ask to leave early one day. And again, I think this is something that management and HR just sort of took a note of like, "Mm, our new hire is asking to leave early. That's another strike, you know? And also this job just really pissed me off a lot. (laughs) It pissed me off a lot. And so On my breaks, I would always go outside and talk to my parent about just things that was going on in the workplace that I either agreed with or disagreed with. And I think that if someone was listening or seeing me at that time, they might have saw my body language and it might have looked as if I was just really aggressive or just a very negative person. And there's no telling, you know how that went. And I think, again, that might've been another thing that management and HR just made a a mental note of. Now, lastly, my biggest mistake was trusting my manager at the time. I trusted her and I brought a lot of my concerns to her um, because she was a black woman. And I felt like we just sort of had an understanding and a connection because of that. And That means nothing. It doesn't matter whether she was black, white, whatever. You can't trust anyone in the corporate world. And I think that this situation is what really opened my eyes to that. I brought a lot of my concerns to her regarding HR and just not thinking that her and HR talk often, even though they do. (laughs) They do talk often. And that was just my biggest mistake. There's no telling what she told HR. (laughs) I'm pretty sure every concern that I brought to her about HR, she brought back to HR. So, you know, just another lesson learned. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Management is management. Now to sort of lay out the day that I got fired. I think this is so sad to, it's just going to be so sad for me to talk about because I wasn't even with this company for 30 days. I was not even with this company for a month. And they let me go. I feel like they just... They just wanted to bring me on to find reasons to get me out of there, you know. And it was just extremely upsetting. And I do feel that I was wrongfully terminated. And just to, again... 
revisit that day, I actually decided to go into this job with my head held high, a better attitude. I wanted to do good in this job. Even though I didn't like it, I knew I was just, it was kind of like a stepping stone. Like I knew that I had to be in this job to get to where I wanted to be. And it's so crazy because that was also the day that I collected the most money. I collected the most money that day. But then next thing you know, I get called to the HR office and they let me know that they are letting me go. And I was so pissed. Like I got loud with them and everything. And it was just, it was insane. I was just so upset. And I'm just like, do you guys not see how much money I collected today? And they're like, no, we see it. We see it. You know, I'm just like, I was so pissed. And I went to my manager who was probably shocked to see me just in so much rage. I went to my manager and I just said, why is this happening? You know, why, why are you guys doing this? And she tells me, oh, we're in at will state, so we don't have to give you a reason. So if you're not sure what an at will state is, it's pretty much a state where the employers or it's a law. I don't know. Anyways, living in an at will state means that the employer does not have to provide a reasoning as to why they are letting you go, like at all. They don't have to give you any reason, any justification at all. So that's what my manager told me. When I asked HR, she told me it was based on performance. And mind you, these are the same people who said, oh, it's going to take you about three or four months for you to really start collecting money and building your portfolio. How was it about performance if I wasn't even there for a month? I was definitely wrongfully terminated. You can't tell me otherwise. I just feel like I didn't give any other reason as to why they needed to let me go. It wasn't like I was late every day. It wasn't like I was leaving early every day. It wasn't like I was fooling around and playing. I did my job. I asked questions. I engaged. I was in just so much shock when this happened. I remember just going back to my cubicle, grabbing all my stuff. I was pretty aggressive. Grabbing all my stuff, I threw my time card on the HR desk, and I just left. I left, and I was so pissed to the point where I just started crying bawling tears and I didn't know what to do and I just felt so incredibly lost. One thing about the situation though, though I was sad, though I was angry when I left, I immediately went home and started job searching. Immediately. And I didn't care what I was doing or what I was applying to. I typically work a lot of office jobs. So me working in fast food or delivery driving or warehouse, anything like that, that's different for me. But I was really down bad to a point where I said, I don't care. So I'm just applying for all types of jobs, receptionist, warehouse, whatever. (laughs) I did not care what it was at that time call center jobs. I was just applying for any and everything. Eventually I came across something. But again, the main thing that was in the back of my mind was I got to pay my bills. I have to maintain my needs and necessities. 
I have things to take care of. I have myself to take care of. And that was the drive behind it all. Now, what I want to touch on next is what I think jobs really need to implement in their organization, in their company, whatever it is, because the candidate in new hire and just overall employee experience means a lot. And these companies just, they really don't care about their people. (laughs) I really think they don't. And a lot of these companies, you're just a number and you are replaceable and it's just insane. First on the list is jobs need to have in-depth job descriptions. Everything needs to be clear. The job description needs to be thorough. I cannot stress this enough. Let me give you guys a little story time. I received my first offer for a work from home job and I was so excited because I wanted to work from home for so long and everything was good. You know, I had my schedule, I had my start date, everything was good, right? Until they asked me to do a speed test. And this speed test was to make sure my internet was, you know, compatible and fast enough for their systems and things like that. My internet failed the speed test. So what did this company do? Resend my offer. And this was so mind-blowing to me because I had already put in my two weeks with my previous employer and I just kind of felt lost. I'm just kind of like, well, now what? I was so pissed off, actually. I'm not even going to say I, I was lost. I was pissed off. I was so pissed off. And at the same time, I was grateful because the call center wasn't too far And I was just grateful I was able to still get to the actual office. But there were some things in this situation that also made me upset. And when I had the work from home offer, I had a good Monday through Friday schedule. But when I got to the office, they switched my schedule to Sunday to Thursday. Uh, They also switched my hours. And I just kept referring back to the principle of it all, you know, Maybe I really needed that work from home job. And what if I couldn't get to the office, you know, for whatever reason? And I think a lot of people looked at me like, you still need to be grateful that you have a job. I'm more than grateful that I had the job. I'm more than grateful that they worked with me to get me to the office. But I still referred to the principle of it. And I was just in my head like, you know, had that been a thing in the job description, I wouldn't even had applied. But I went through all of that, the interview process, the application process, getting the offer just to do a speed test. And for you guys to tell me, nope, can't do it. Pushed my start date back. It really affected me. The speed test should have been in the job description. And a lot of other things need to be in the job description. Of course, things can be talked out in the interview process, but... In-depth job descriptions are everything. It saves so much time for the candidate and the employer. So next is a buddy system. And I think that this is so important because, oh my gosh, it's just so important, especially in jobs like call centers where they bring in a class of people to start. 
a buddy system is everything. And from my personal experience, I've actually observed and been a part of just people naturally migrating to those who share the same interests as them, no matter how big or small. And these cliques just start to naturally form out of nowhere. And having that buddy is so important. Like I said, I just think it enhances the work experience altogether. And a lot of companies and organizations just, they just don't think that. They think that you can't work together and you can't multitask when really it makes you feel more comfortable in your job. You would start these training classes, you get your buddy, and then when it's time for you to get out on the floor and actually do your job, they separate you into different teams with different leaders And it just really makes an impact and you start to feel a little lost. So I really think that having a buddy system is so, so important. A lot of jobs need to think about this. I I just cannot stress this enough because I know how it felt for me when the one person that I clicked with in training was with a whole nother leader and a whole nother team. And I'm just kind of on my team lost and confused and... (sighs) Buddy systems, essential. Next is really understanding what each employee likes in regards to recognition. I think this makes such a big difference because it can really, again, make the work experience enjoyable, be the reason an employee gets out of bed to go to work. You know, it can really motivate an employee. The next thing that jobs should really do is to actually hear out their employees and make a change. I feel like a lot of big companies and organizations do surveys and, you know, they want their employee feedback and things like that. And (laughs) they always say that they're anonymous, but I never believe they're anonymous. I really think that once you click on the link for a survey, it's still linked to your user account or whatever it is. And they want you to be so truthful on these surveys, but I just don't really trust it. And I think that even if they are, trying to make a change. I think that whether one person agreed on something or 20 people agreed on something, everyone's feedback needs to be heard. And I don't know if when they look at these survey results, they just look at the majority, but I think that everyone's voice matters. Like I said, I don't care if one person said, oh, we need to Keep it cold in the office. And 20 people say they need to keep it hot in the office. You need to care for that one person that said they want it cold. That was a bad example, but you get what I'm saying. Next is work-life balance. This is just important. I don't have to really go in detail about it. It's just so important. And I think that after, you know, the blow up of the pandemic, everyone realized how important work-life balance is, especially Gen Z. I see that this is something Gen Z advocates for a lot, and I just love to see it. And speaking of Gen Z, I did a little bit of research, and in the research, it shows that Gen Z wants more opportunities to advance in the workplace, and that's the next thing on my list. I really find this to be something that some Gen Zers want and some Gen Zers don't. Some Gen Zers are fine not climbing any corporate ladders or moving up or doing anything extra. They're just fine clocking in and out, and that's okay. 
you know, and I think that that's something that needs to be normalized too. not always asking employees where do they want to go in the company or where they see their self in two, three, four, five years, because some people are fine doing what they do day in and day out. They don't want to do anything different or they don't want to take on any additional tasks and responsibilities. So opportunities to advance if that person wants to advance. My next thing is being more open to talking about anxiety and depression. And I think that this is something that needs to be discussed early and not looked down upon because your well-being is everything. And that's something that a lot of these companies or organizations don't care about your well-being. They just, again, look at you as a number or a robot and they just don't care too much. But I think that this is something a lot of people deal with and we just have to act like we don't. And I understand to a certain extent, it can be unprofessional, it can get in the way of work, but it does need to be talked about. And it needs to be something you could at least share with your leader to where you just feel comfortable. Let me tell you guys something. I wanted that work from home job so bad because of how bad my anxiety is. And once I got to the job and I actually started working the job, got on the floor, started taking calls. I was sweating so much because of my anxiety to the point where my hands were sweating. My fingertips were dripping to the point where my keyboard was soaking wet. I was sweating on my hands, my feet, my entire body was sweating. And I just thought about if I was working from home, I would not have had went through that. You know, and I think, like I said, this is just something that needs to be discussed. Mental health is so important. And without your employees being in a good mental state, you're not going to get the results that you want from them. You're not going to get the work that you want from them. You're not going to get the drive that you want from them. So I think that even though some things are out of the company and organization's control, you can't control a person's life and, you know, what's going on in their life. But I do think work should be a positive place and it should be not necessarily an outlet. Well, it is an outlet for some, but I do think that because we don't know what's going on in people's day-to-day lives, that work should be pleasant and it shouldn't be stressful and it shouldn't be draining. Anyways, moving on. Next is reasonable metrics. I don't know too much about business and running a business and Just how businesses decide that, oh, 85% is the goal or we need to get $90,000 in sales. I don't know how they decide that. (laughs) I don't. But I think that just like a test, if everyone is failing, who do you look at? The teacher, right? And so I think that if everyone on the team is not meeting those metrics or not meeting those numbers, we need to revisit those metrics. We need to revisit leadership. I'm just saying. Now, a few things I love about Gen Z. I think I'm a part of Gen Z. I don't, I don't know. I looked it up and I think it's 1997 and on. I think. Okay. Anyways, but one thing I love about Gen Z is that we are always self-advocating in the workplace. We know what we want and we know what we don't want. And I just love 
seeing people know what they're going to tolerate and what they're not going to tolerate. <laughs> like the minute they get an inch of disrespect, they're out of there. And I just love that. And I also love that Gen Z is so cautious of workplace red flags, whether it's getting hired too soon or like in my case, I didn't receive any onboarding or paperwork, all of those red flags. And I also love seeing people act their wage, you know, not doing anything over <laughs> the work of, you know, where you're getting paid only 11 an hour is like, I'm not going to do 17 an hour work. I'm going to do 11 an hour work. And I just love that. I love seeing people act their wage and just knowing their worth because it truly, truly matters. But I also wanted to remind you guys to really care for yourself when it comes to these jobs. I mean, I think that a lot of the times we do unknowingly put jobs before our mental health and before our physical health. So I just want to encourage everyone to take your breaks, take your breaks. I actually need to be talking to myself, but take your breaks. <laughs> you know, whether it's your 15 minute break, your 30 minute lunch break, your hour lunch break, take your breaks. Don't come to work early. Don't leave late. You know, work your hours and then be done. Make sure you eat, go for walks, you know, read a book even. Just really take care of yourself because oftentimes you can really forget yourself in these jobs and that is not okay. But that is all that I have for you guys today. And I just hope that you guys were able to take something away from this episode, whether it was, you know, things to look out for in your next job or to just not do the things that I did. I really appreciate you guys listening. I'm considering doing another episode where I sort of talk about every single job that I've had, the pros, the cons, the experiences, how leadership was, all of that, because I think that would be really interesting to hear and to talk about. And Honestly, work and jobs, it's just something that I could talk about for forever. I, I can really talk about it for a long, long time. <laughs> and I'm considering discussing just like my entire resume with you guys. So if that is something that you would like to hear, let me know. But again, thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said, it feels so good to be back in front of the mic and talking to you guys again. Make sure you follow, listen, and subscribe on Anchor. Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And also make sure you follow the podcast Instagram at Thought of Thoughts Pod, and we'll talk soon.